Hey fam, this is your host, Amber Preston, and this is Family Drama. Welcome back, fam. Some of the content in today's discussion has the topics of suicide and domestic abuse. If you are struggling with these issues, please contact someone to share your feelings with or the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. So we've been talking about your transition to adulthood and your mom's marriage to Dell. Grandpa. Grandpa. (laughs) Clearly, that had to be an extraordinarily stressful time being in college, full-time working in a factory and trying to cope with you know Uncle Billy's trial and failing marriage. I mean, no wonder you ended up at a Harding Hospital. Like, <laughs> yes. Duh. Yes. I was trying to start my teaching career just about the time they started deinstitutionalizing the larger facilities. I met your dad at Institute, meaning right. at Orient. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that institution, oh, not God. Billy's institution. Right. Oh, God. Your dad and I met and we started dating. I got a call from Chrissy's grandparents who lived in Wichita at the time. Chala's in laws, right? Chala's ex in laws, right? Oh, okay, right. Mm-hmm. Yes. They were trying to contact Chala because her ex husband, John, had died of either an overdose or by suicide. And in the three years that they were apart, that Chal and John were apart, John had met a girl named Allison. Together they had a little girl, and Allison died of an overdose several months after their baby was born. It could have been suicide. I've heard two sides to this story. John's parents, the grandparents, took the baby, her name was Brandy, to that side of the family, And they knew that Chala had the legal right to Chrissy as the remaining parent. Chrissy was six years old by then, and at the time, she really had very little memory of Chala because she hadn't seen Chala. But the grandparents felt Chrissy needed to be with her mother. And I explained to them carefully that she had been in and out of the VA hospital trying to get her life together. So the grandparents brought her from Wichita and dropped her off into my custody. Wait, wait, wait. So you're, wait, hold on. You're, what, 23, 24? Still in therapy. (laughs) Right. Trying to separate from the insanity of your family, and now suddenly you have custody of a six-year-old. Right. Oh, but wait, there's more. Oh, God, okay. They did not tell Chrissy that her dad, John, was dead. She had already been through Allison's death a few months prior to that and they just felt like she might not be able to handle that. And so they left it up to me to tell her. She had no idea when she was dropped off in Ohio that she was not going back to Wichita. And in a way, I thought, well, at least I've been through this, (laughs) so I should be able to explain the matter to this little girl and show her. Of course, I didn't even know Chrissy. I'd never even met her. Oh, wow. And show her that you're going to grow up, things are going to be okay, adults sometimes have significant problems, but it's not your fault. And it was so hard to tell her to sit on the edge of the bed and tell this little six-year-old girl that your daddy has died 
you know, because the remake of Little Orphan Annie had just come out. Oh, my gosh. And she wanted to see that. And she was identifying with Little Orphan Annie in her little six-year-old oh mind. God. And it was awful. What was it like to, you know, suddenly become a guardian of a child that you didn't even know? And, like, she's not even technically blood related to you. Like, Chala is your stepsister. Yeah, but an adoption makes it. A legal sister. Okay. So yes, but you're right. There's there is no blood whatsoever. It's not like that we get along and we're really close or anything right. like that. But it was interesting to get to know this little girl. I mean, I I love kids. That's right. one of the reasons I'm a teacher. But I soon found out by the things she said how messed up her young life had been. Her recollections of John and Allison, her dad and stepmom, was that they fought a lot. And it appears that John and Allison took little time to see to her educational needs, as she didn't even know the alphabet or how to count very high. She wasn't in kindergarten even at the age of six, so she should have started at five. She had spent most of her life apparently in front of the TV. After she had been with me for a few weeks, she told me that she really liked living with me because I always had milk for her cereal. And she told me that once she had to use pickle juice on her cereal because they didn't have any milk. I know. And so I can only imagine what her life had been. And I was living in Clintonville in this tiny, small, two-bedroom flat kind of thing. And uh, so she had her own bedroom, and I had my own bedroom. And so she also told me that she was often left alone with her little sister Brandy while they went out. And she had to learn how to change diapers and feed this infant. As a six-year-old? As a six-year-old. Oh, my God. So, you know, I, of course, fell in love with the little girl. Right. And I had hoped that having custody of Chrissy might help Chella come to her senses and accept some type of responsibility as a parent since she no longer had to fight for the custody of Chrissy. Right. You know, she didn't have the money, but she really didn't have the wherewithal to take care of the child. And Chrissy and I would go visit her at the VA hospital so that she could become reacquainted with her daughter. And I offered T'Challa the opportunity, you know, to come live with us once you get out of the VA and you can live at the house with us. You and Chrissy can have that room. You could finish your cosmetology degree. I made it possible for her, but she instead decided to go back to New York, and she left the hospital without my knowing it. She would travel between Columbus and New York, still working the streets in New York and Columbus. By then, Chrissy was in first grade. Because of her age, she had a lot of catching up to do, but she was academically way behind. And one of those weekends, I was home one night and Chrissy said, Aunt Kathy, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but mommy's gonna come and get me at school on Friday and we're gonna go live in New York. What? Right. So, okay, I think we need to explain to the audience like what she was doing in New York. In New York, she was running drugs and she was prostituting. So she was gonna take Chrissy. A a six-year-old little girl. A six-year-old girl to live in New York with her. While she's doing all this. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I thank God 
thank God Chrissy told me this. Right, right. You know, and so during those several months that I had custody of Chrissy and I was still single and I was teaching at Orient, I would take Chrissy down to visit mom and Dell, and, you know, because mom technically was her legal grandmother. Right. Because she legally adopted Chrissy, which made her a legal grandmother. And I would let them visit uh, since she was the grandma. So I only had the temporary custody of Chrissy. My concern was that if Chala actually took her across the state lines to New York, I wouldn't be, number one, be able to find her. And especially since she was the blood mother, I wouldn't have a leg to stand on in ever getting her to be able to come back here. Got it. So I called mom and Dell and I explained the situation and my fears and concern that Chrissy would be kidnapped by her own mother, a mother that's a drug addict and working the streets in prostitution. And she would have had her in the same situation as a, as a youngster. Right. And by this time, mom was staying at home. They had lost the meat market. Dell had started working for an insurance company. And so for the safety of Chrissy, they, uh, they took guardianship because I could not chance that Chala could just take her from school because this is a period of time way before you could just walk on the school grounds and take a child. <laughs> and like, you know, to make it clear, like the reason why you're not asking for custody because you are a 24 year old woman, single woman. And here, Grandma, Dorothy, and Dell were married to the court. It looked like a safer, more stable situation. And they had more legal right than I would have had legal right. Absolutely. Because I only had temporary Temporary, custody. Yeah, exactly. So mom felt that this is her uh, second chance at raising a child and providing for her very differently than she did for us. And I stayed in very close contact with Chrissy. And in fact, you know, she was in your dad and I's wedding as the flower girl and Paul's nephew, Robbie, was the ring bearer. So she was very much part of your dad and I's life, but she was custody given to mom and Dell. And they got Chrissy into counseling. Mom was always there. She had alerted the schools about the situation, gave her the opportunity to take dance classes probably overdid it by spoiling her as Mm -hmm. grandparents. That's their job. Right. And eventually they petitioned the court to adopt Chrissy because Chala wasn't around to contest it. They could prove that she was in New York and not able to be found with a specific address. And the court, knowing the family, awarded the adoption to mom and Dell. And Chrissy felt like she had a family again. Mm. So that's how... Your niece became your legal sister and <laughs> what what have been my cousin became my aunt and I've always known her as Aunt Chrissy. Right. Even but, though technically she's my cousin. I know. Right. <laughs> Our bunch of weeds in this family. It's not a family tree. So, right. you know, and of course, during this time, Billy was able to come and go from the hospitals and he loved children and... At the same time, I was still dealing with Billy and the hospitals and the legal matters with Athens Mental Health 
hospital. And then he was absconded in the middle of the night <laughs> by the authorities and taken to Lima, where I was constantly fighting for his right to proper treatment. I mean, can you imagine me trying to deal with a child and this at the same time? Right. And then he went to Maslin for the exorcisms, and then he went back to the forensic center, watched the documentary, right. everybody. <laughs> Just, you can yeah. figure it out. Yeah. And in between this, though, when he was out, he got to know Chrissy, fell in love with a little girl, as he normally does with children, and he enjoyed her, you know, like little kids. Your dad and I started our family, Adam was born, and we moved into the Dublin area, and for the next eight years or so, Chrissy lived in Lancaster with mom and Dell, and we had you three kids, and she went through the Lancaster City School system and was a sophomore in high school when one evening I got a frantic call from mom who told me that Dell had been arrested. What? For molesting Chrissy and taking nude photos of her and pandering pornography. I'm like not even, I just, I just can't. I drove down to Lancaster and picked up Chrissy and her belongings that evening and brought her back to Dublin to live with us. Wait, okay, hold on. How old were you? I I mean, I, I remember when she came to live with us. She was a teenager. Yes, she was a teenager. I don't know how old I was, but I was in, had to be in my 30s. But you and Adam were in elementary school by then, and Anna was a toddler, so it would have been in the early 90s. Chrissy told her youth director at church that this had been going on, and of course, this is in the 90s, he had to report it. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely, and that that's the right thing to do, and they immediately arrested Dell, and eventually, over the next year, he went to trial, and he was found guilty because they had the evidence on his computer. Oh my God. I mean, seriously. And apparently this had been going on since Chrissy was 12 or 13 years old. Oh my God. And remember I mentioned he was a master at manipulating people into doing things and creating dissension. And he was manipulated her. He promised to get her a horse oh and she loved horses if she would agree to let him take pictures of her and they could sell them on the internet and that way they'd have money to take care of the horse and you know at the beginning of this from day one i pretty much as an adult who had her own children gave mom two choices i really didn't believe she had two choices but i gave her two choices right hoping she would make the right decision i said you can come and live with us and chrissy and finish being part of her life and raising her since you adopted her, or you can stand by your man in Lancaster. Mm -hmm. <laughs> in, in my mind and in my heart, it was like, you don't really have a choice. Right. So she said she'd never been in a situation like this before. What? And I said, yes, you have. But she began making excuses for his behavior. I remember her saying, well, he never really got over Stuart's death, and we're all in therapy now. He's been so depressed, and his daughters won't even talk to him. This is during the months as they were preparing for trial, and Chrissy was living with us. And I'm all he's got, and Chrissy's almost an adult. No, 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 just no. <laughs> nope. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. 
Yes, she chose to stand by him. And Orient, by this time, same place that I worked, had become a minimum security prison. And he was sent there for a few years. And they let him out because he was so, his health was so poor. They were afraid that he was going to die on their watch. And during the time he was in prison and Chrissy was finishing up her high school at the end of her junior year, she decided to go out to California to be with her dad's side of the family. She was done with this family here. You know, Mom was pressuring her to forgive Dell and all this other No, rap. that's such that's bullshit. Ra- that's wrong. I know. And so I had to make some pretty significant parameters. And I felt like that Chrissy wanted to get to know her other side of the family. She had been gone from them since six years old. She had an aunt and her half-sister was living there, her Mm -hmm. legit blood half-sister. So where um, is Chella during this time? Is she still in New York? Did she know about the situation with Del? Like, where is she? By this time, she is back from New York. And she's living in Columbus, trying to survive. She stayed with us off and on. You might remember her coming and going, living in our basement a time or two, Mm -hmm. back and forth. Of course, she is angry. And she blames me for letting Chrissy go to Lancaster to live with a pedophile. Yes, because it's your fault. Yes, it's always my fault. I could never do anything right. Then, after this happens, she tells me that Dell used to come up to Columbus when Dell was first married to mom in the first years of their marriage and have sex with her. What? He would give her money because she was prostituting at the time and barely able to make even enough to live at the YWCA while she was trying to go in cosmetology school. Oh my God. And I'm like, well, if you would have told me about what he was doing to you, after he tried to say that I was trying to seduce him. Right. And you then know, he's and driving then he's up here oh my to have God. sex with her. If you would have told me about this, I would have never let Chris go down there in the first place. I don't remember the period of time when, when grandpa, no, I'm sorry. He's not my grandpa. Dell was in prison. Yeah. He that... must have not been in prison very long. Well, that was a very tricky part because like I said, I gave mom the option, you know, you guys were children. Mm -hmm. I gave mom the option to come and live with us and leave Lancaster altogether. Mm -hmm. From my perspective, she had nothing holding her there, but a sick and sordid family with Chalmer and his abuse, Billy being the campus rapist and now Dell going to prison for being a pedophile. My God, why wouldn't you leave? Why would Seriously. You? I know, right? Oh my God. What kept her there besides Dell? And a huge problem for our family, our nuclear family, you and Adam and Anna, the apparent very normal family that I had created, the relationships you had with grandma and grandpa, mm-hmm. it seemed all normal. Right. So as soon as this happened, I knew that you, Anna, and Adam were too young to understand what was going on. And if we just cut off the relationship, you would be hurt and confused. Your dad and I were really torn between how do we cut off what 
is a, apparently a very normal relationship. You have grandma and grandpa whom right. you love torn between cutting you off from the only grandparents you ever knew and continuing the relationship under very specific controlled conditions. The first years Dell was in prison, mom continued to see you all during the holidays. We were fortunately very busy with all of your activities, continuing a very normal presence, very normal life. And we would visit her in Lancaster and you didn't notice Dell's absence because we could say that he's visiting his sick parents or he's visiting elsewhere. And when he got out of prison, since it wasn't, oh, I don't know if it was even more than a year, maybe it was like 16 months or so, they didn't come up as often. And we never let any of you ever be alone with either of them from the time he was arrested. We'd never let you go to Lancaster and spend the night, We even with it, when it was just mom. And they would come up to see you in your shows and your recitals and the Taekwondo that the, Adam and Anna were involved in. And we monitored everything they said and done because we just couldn't trust them. Yet, I, I didn't know if I was making the right decision part of me, really the big part of me, really just wanted to hack the relationship right off. But it made it a dilemma. And I'm sure that, you know, other people would have handled this differently and may have cut off the relationship and never looked back. And we had been raising you with principles of kindness and grace and forgiveness. We were involved in churches that was all reinforcing those ideas. And I really worked at having to create a normal, loving, stable environment, even though we were surrounded by all this crazy. Here's where I would like to return to the idea of complicity. Remember, you asked me about that earlier, and I mentioned I would return to the idea along with my dad's suicide note. Well, let me read some of that to you. Writing this is not an easy task. It might seem the cowardly way out, but as my entire world has collapsed about me, there is nothing left. The only hope for temporary security for my three children, James, William, and Kathy Jo, can be derived from what little insurance I have. If it's possible, can you see to it their mother, Dorothy Vincent, that was mom's stage name, does not get her hands on it? She is mixed up with a crowd that hangs around where she works. These are people she has broken up our home for, and believe me, I did everything in my power to hold it together. The story is sordid enough. The children I love with all my heart, and the fact that they were born without benefit of marriage, is something she wants to use as a gimmick to get some publicity she thinks will further her career. Since before our first child was born, I tried several times to get her to marry me. This is after she accused me of making her pregnant when we first met. But she always found one excuse after another to avoid it. All of this and the following can be proved in the deposition given to my lawyer, M. H. Rosenhaus of Miami. I introduced her to my family as my wife, and so that when the baby arrived, I had planned to go to some small town, 
marry her, and legitimize the baby. By this time, I was so much in love with the little boy. Again, she found one excuse after another. Somebody might read about the marriage in the marriage column, that knows us, etc. Well, eventually, the second boy arrived. That would be Billy. And for the first two weeks, it was touch and go whether he lived or not, but God was with us, and he is fine and healthy. As if that were a warning, I suggested marriage again. By this time, she had other excuses and was entirely out of line, drinking continually, disappearing from the club, and when she was in these conditions, the children weren't safe with her. More than once, when she hit the children, it was with her arm instead of the flat of her hand, and I had to threaten her with a beating to get her to stop. Believe me, my life was a living hell. It began to show up in my work. I was slipping fast, and I knew if this kept going, I would eventually kill her. I wanted to leave her, and she begged me to have patience. We put the children in a wonderful nursery in Tampa, Florida, and went out on the road again. With me, she was able to work decent nightclubs and theaters. Then the little girl was on the way, and we came back to Miami. And after the third baby was born, she hired a woman to take care of the children. And on her oath, she said she wouldn't mix with the customers. I let her go back to the place Pagal to sing. But it was no time at all before she was back with the same group, drinking and fighting continually ill until she collapsed and was sent to the hospital with the first stages of hepatitis. She almost didn't make it. She was under constant care of the doctor. For several weeks after leaving the hospital, when she came home, she said the doctor, Safestine from Miami Beach, told her that it would be good for her to get back to work to ease her mind as the expenses were mounting, and also a cocktail now and then wouldn't hurt her. I was against the idea, so without telling me, she signs another contract back at the place Pagale. Well, work had slacked off in the hotels, so we talked it over, and I decided to go up to the mountains at New York in the Catskills for a few weeks to work. He goes on to say that she had gotten involved with pimps and lesbians and Shylocks and how she was drinking so heavily that she ended up in the hospital with significant liver damage and nearly died. We had never been separated before, and of course at the time I didn't know the type of people she had been cultivating, the pimps, the lesbians, and the Shylocks, etc. This, to her, had become a symbol of sharp living. When I came home and saw the types of clothes she was buying, men's clothes, severe suits, certain types of tornado pants that seemed to be a signal between these types of women, well, I blew my top. From then on, it was a living hell with her. Her continued drinking put her back in the hospital, this time for hemorrhoid operation, and in view of the fact that her liver was beyond repair, they couldn't operate. So she was there for weeks, and I traveled 150 miles a night so I could be with her during visiting hours. All the while, I was painting the house. She was planning, even then, to break up our home so she could be with her new type of life. 
The day of her operation, when she started to come out of it, still under the anesthetic, she thought I was someone else. Her admissions were sickening, and it was like a degenerate of an unknown class. I tried to stop her by telling her it was me, that she was in the ward, but again, it didn't quite penetrate. And she started boasting of how she played me for a sucker all these years. I never mentioned this to her because of the children, and I begged the people at the hospital not to mention it to her. Well, when she started to get better, I mentioned the marriage again. And she said she had talked to a priest, and she claimed that he said that you don't have to worry about that. These are children of God. This, to me, doesn't sound plausible, but as I have aforementioned, she wants to build this into a gimmick. She went so far as to sue me for divorce, so it would hit the papers without warning. And she had a peace bond, which she tried to have served on Christmas Day, so I could not see the children. And on New Year's Eve, when my little girl was celebrating her second birthday, she refused to let me see her then, called me on the phone to tell me what a wonderful time they were having at her party. Mr. Rao, you can inquire of the show people in Miami Beach as to my sincerity and loyalty to this woman, but it is more than I can shoulder. You know the nightclub life down here is a woman's world, and she has been instrumental in causing me to lose two jobs. You can guess how she continually bragged, if I fight her for the children, she can have me run out of Miami. She has disappeared from one to th three days at a time, and I'm at the point where I can't face life and see what these children will face. I've tried this once before and failed, but this time, I hope it will be a success. In order to protect the children, I would have to put up with her, and I would rather pay for my sin with the Almighty and go through that. As a last request, please have this looked into by various agencies that can protect my children, and my, may God have mercy on my soul. Johnny Morrison. There were a few other notes left for instructions. So when I read this note sitting across from Gary in 1978, and he asked me if she intentionally stayed with Chalmer, I was adamant about mom being much as a victim of Chalmer as we all were. I had always seen her as a victim. But then she chose to stay with Dell, and my views of her shifted. I was confused by her choice, and I watched her become his victim. And she would tell her friends that she had no idea that this had happened. And 
And then she would make excuses for him. And one time, though, she said, you know, Chrissy is old enough to have said no. Oh, hell no. I know. And it really does take two, blah, blah, blah. Nope. Nope. I know. And I was really, really angry. And I said to her, never is the child, never, never at fault for the abuse of the perpetrating adult. And I pretty much accused her of not protecting Chrissy any better than she protected us. But it wasn't too much longer after that that I had a conversation with Jim, who pretty much said the same identical thing about Chrissy. He didn't support Chrissy. He supported Mom and Del. And, and from a distance, I could see how easily his words manipulated Mom. She is with men, or really anybody, who has a logical argument. You can manipulate her. I have manipulated her. I could tell her, no, Mom, you're wrong in this. You know, so the question Gary asked, was she complicit? And back then, I said no. But then it's, yes, she is complicit. She went to the grave believing that she did the best she could. That was her phrase. Remember, you've heard that. Oh, yeah. And... I believe that she really could not distinguish her role. And maybe it's just because I have to believe this. She could not distinguish her role in allowing men in her life to manipulate and control her as they did. She could not see that. Her fear of being alone or being left alone that stems clear back from her own father leaving her after her mother's death is something she could never reconcile. And I think many psychiatrists would would or would not agree. Does it make it right? No. Does it make her decisions to stay with men who abuse her children? No, absolutely not. No more right than Billy's rapes of women because of his mental illness make it right. You see, I struggle all my life reconciling him as a rapist, having been a rape victim, mom as a perpetrator, and that's what forces people like me into the shadows, trying to figure out how to maneuver through life, still be involved with Billy's life and not write him off, still be involved in mom's life and not write her off. Did I have every right to? Absolutely. Did I do everything possible to protect you all? Absolutely. I could have just cut them out. You would not as a child understood that. You would have as an adult, but you also understand how and why I made these decisions. The fraudulent lives we lead. Did you ever confront your mom after you read the suicide note? Yes, I did. What did she, I mean? She said she didn't remember the suicide notes. 
that she had never seen them. Did she read them? When oh, you got I gave them to her. It, what could she possibly... <laughs> how can she justify... I'm, she said she just never, never... She had but, never I mean, seen those. What, he, what you he, just read, the picture that your dad paints of her is horrific. Did she gaslight you and saying, well, that's his version. Look at, he killed himself. He's crazy. You know, the doctors called him schizophrenic. You know, the the I, diagnosis of the day. I mean, that, you know, but everything that you read, that's a very long thought out thought letter. Thought out letter. Yeah, see, for me, reading it, first of all, it was the first real words in my father's own hands. Yeah. That I so desperately would have wanted anyway. Yeah. You know, that I could have believed wholeheartedly and did mm -hmm. at the very beginning. Because I, I also feel like if you are on the verge of committing suicide. Which you know. Which I do know. Right. You can be very much on the verge of insanity or you can be extraordinarily lucid. Right. And to me, that letter sounds, and this is literally the first time I've ever heard this. It sounds very clear. Like he is very lucid. It, yes. And when you know that you are about to meet the God Almighty, which we can tell as a Jewish man, although maybe not a devout follower, believed in God, knew the intensity of suicide, <laughs> knew that he was going to succeed in this, at, at this. Right. It was more for me to believe these were his last words that he wanted his children to know. The weirdness about how I finally got this letter in my hands, which I would have never have known, was able for me to say, these are his last words. You are not the person. Yes, you were Chalmers' victim. Right. Yes, we were yes, all victims. Yes, you were, yes. You know, so because he wanted to marry her. That's when I started to go investigate. Right. Why did she really not marry him? Right. And so I went to Circleville yep. to find out when did Dick Jonas really divorce her? Yeah. She didn't know she was divorced. That's why she wouldn't marry him. Mm. Because she would have been committing polygamy. polygamy. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she didn't know that Dick Jonas divorced her. Right. She wouldn't tell him right. she was married. Right. That's the only thing I can say. And so when I would ask Aunt Joe, Uncle Bob, her brothers and sisters, yeah. will you tell me what my dad was like? They would say, that's all water under the bridge, honey. Just, we're all moving forward. He was very sick. So I kept hearing he was sick. Right. I did not hear that mom had broken off communications with her family. I did not see this side of her. So yes, I right. started trying to piece together, who is this woman? Yeah. I was an adult by then. Right. Who is this woman that I have come to know? Right. Who was a victim all her life of Chalmers. But. <laughs> but I, and I was a child too. So right. uh, reasoning through all that. For sure. So then I see this as an adult and at the time I make the decision, of course, I didn't know what Chala had said either to let them go down there. And for eight years, everything seemed fine. Right. Until Della's arrested. Right. And until she made that decision. Yep. 
And that was her chance of redemption, making a different choice, coming to live with you and us here in Dublin. Yeah. And leaving all of that behind. And, and she yet chose she, not she to. chose not to do that. And that is why Billy never spoke to her, even up until they, they both, both died, died without. without reconciling. And, you know, I never understood that. And I get it now. Yeah. I mean, once she made the decision to stay with Dell, he flat out said, Mom, if you choose to stay with Dell, I will never speak to you again. You know, and here's here's, here's Billy. <laughs> right. Campus rapist. Right. And I'm just like, okay, Billy. So when Billy comes home, as we'll talk about next time. Yeah. I tried to get them to reconcile. They were both dying. Hey fam, thank you so much for listening today. If you have a story you want to share, please visit our website at family-dramapodcast.com and click on send us your story or ideas. While you are there, subscribe to Family Drama so you don't miss an episode. Also, all of our socials are listed in the show notes. Like, follow, share, and subscribe. And please give us your feedback by leaving us a review. 